Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Intermediate Podcast. Happy Saturday the 22nd, y'all, if you're listening to this on the day of upload. Happy Saturday the 22nd. I'm Angel, a lifelong writer. I'm Weiss. I make stuff uh, visually. And I'm wearing a red v-neck with a different shade of red horizontal stripes today but nobody can see it (laughs) and you i don't know angel why don't you tell me (laughs) weiss picked up his shirt (laughs) i'm wearing a blue shirt with a ear and a leaf and a fist i don't know what it means but rvca that's from something I think it's just cool. I don't know what it means. Maybe it's about John Henry. Oh my god, maybe it is about John Henry. Look, he's holding a freaking... Hammer? He's holding a hammer. Or he's the man in American folklore who... One day, him and a bunch of people who were uh, digging tunnels through mountains... uh, They were going to be replaced by a machine. And... He ended up competing with the machine... And they both dug identical tunnels through a mountain. And at the end of the story, John Henry, like, okay, at the end of the story, one tunnel opened up. And as the smoke cleared, you see John Henry lying on the floor. Uh, speaking of beating the machine, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. What does that have to do uh, is... with beating a machine? Now, that has to do with beating the machine because... Uh, when I went to go see this movie in theaters in 2018, I beat the marketing machine because I went in. I hadn't even seen a poster for the movie when I went in to see it. So I beat the marketing machine. No trailers, no commercials. I don't even know if I was planning on watching this movie. I think someone might have invited me. That experience sold me on the whole premise of watching stuff without uh, without any foreknowledge because... That was that was fun to be surprised at every little twist and turn. Uh, that's a movie where I kind of wish I wasn't into comics. It would have been nice to just like for was for your every... was your brain working too much? Like oh, comparing it to source material. <laughs> I wasn't comparing it to source material, but there was some stuff where I mean, w- along with anything that's based on something else, like there's just points where you're not going to be surprised by something that would be surprising to someone else. Yeah. Before we talk about anything specific, uh, spoiler warning, we are going to discuss the entirety of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. This is a movie that if you are not very familiar with Spider-Man outside of like the pop culture zeitgeist which i would say that's like the marvel movies the sam raimi movies if you're not very familiar with spider-man outside of those then i'd say there's a lot of really fun surprises to be had here uh especially if you're a fan of spider-man and even if you're not there's still a fun and heartwarming story to enjoy This, this is a movie that is, without without any shadow of a doubt, on every level, made by pros. Yeah, this movie is a piece of art more so... More so? Is it a piece of art more so than other things? 
No, I'd say this um, is like a great piece of entertainment, and it's such good entertainment that it becomes artful in that sense. This is an innovative film, and there aren't many movies, um, like theatrical stuff, that really delves into this kind of subject matter, right? What kind of subject matter? Uh, multiverse. Uh, you exist in a different way, in a different world, different timeline. I don't yeah. think that's explored a lot in in film. In, in other in other mediums, it is explored a lot, like animation, uh, or, or like TV animation. That's it, it's been recurring uh, recently. You know, like Rick and Morty. Yeah. Uh, Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon goes to multiple dimensions. Yeah, actually. Uh, is that why Ash looks different every time? <laughs> yeah, actually, um, some of the ashes are are from an alternate timeline. So, I mean, for sure, if you look at the movies like I Choose You and like those movies, they have a separate canon from the main show. Like they just start with a different Ash on a different journey. So th those are like canon in an alternate timeline. Um, but there was also something in another game talking about other universes that are almost exactly the same to the ones that you inhabit uh which theoretically in pokemon makes every person's playthrough canon i like that <laughs> there are some universes where someone just hacks into the universe to get whatever uh ultra powerful deity at their disposal that they'd like are you talking about cheaters like cheaters are canon oh yeah <laughs> The Game Shark kids have some universe where they're perfect. Which makes sense. Like, I can imagine a universe where somebody is just able to manipulate things. I mean, we're talking video games, so yeah. And we're I talking it. about a universe where, where animals are wild, but they also... They're very intelligent. They're very obedient. But also they have the intelligence of a person. Like, you can talk to it and it'll understand what you're saying perfectly. And it'll have... A response to what you're saying not in words but you know they are i would say every pokemon is more intelligent than a dog speaking of being obedient and understanding everything uh even without words said i'd like to introduce our sponsor <laughs> no <laughs> spider-man into the spider-verse uh one of the first things i wanted to talk about with this movie is like there's a really excellent understanding of the audience that you can feel right away with the movie because you know the very first montage introducing uh peter parker like it taps into what everyone or the audience that they're aiming at superhero fans or kids that are into the character specifically like it taps into what you know about the character and i feel like it's let me see what's the word not quite comforting, but it feels good having the creators recognize that the story of Spider-Man has been told multiple times over the years. And this is like a new story uh, with the character and with the world. Like there's an understanding of the audience that this isn't their first time around and showing an experienced Spider-Man who's already done all this stuff, just like the audience has already seen all these movies. Uh, it's, it shows a good level of understanding with the audience. And the, the comedy 
over there too. Like, this is by people who know what's up with Spider-Man, parodying Sam Raimi and other like Spider-Man media. It, in that opening shot, when when Spider-Man and Mary Jane are in that restaurant having a toast, <laughs> and his Spidey sense goes off, and then you see Mary Jane just back up a little bit. Spider-Man puts down the champagne and just in a single movement just punches the car back where it came from and his fist only makes contact in one frame of animation (laughs) (laughs) oh so so because of that it really makes the car look like paper (laughs) yeah it's uh, i I was watching uh, an animator his channel is howard wimhurst um he's a he's a very talented animator and he also does a lot of breakdowns on his channel. And something he was talking about was how this shot broke the laws of like physics and animation, but did it for comedic effect and they pulled it off extremely well. And that's something I, I agree with. Just the the visual comedy, you know, like it's a cartoon. See, like a decision like that that's good because they know what they're doing. They know what they're there for. Like, they're not going to make it more realistic just because they're going to serve the purpose of the story, which at that point, it's really fun and lighthearted. So it, it breaks a certain rule, but it's in service of something. Animation is a medium for adaptation that comics are ripe for. Like, for me, it makes the most sense to adapt comics into animation. And here, like, sure, there have been a lot of animated movies based on comics and superheroes. Um, If you look at, you know, the DC straight-to-DVD animated films, which are well done for the most part. But this takes it another level, you know, where before you had these characters brought into a different medium, a different art style. With this movie, you had them... Not even doing it as a 2D adaptation, which we're very seeing by this point. They brought it to a three-dimensional world, but they knew from the get-go that they wanted to do something inspired by the look of comic books. And so with that, they took those those dot patterns um, that are used for shading. They took those CMYK, like, you know, when CMYK doesn't really transfer perfectly to... Uh, from RGB or you know like it's, it's just like weird uh, malfunctions quote unquote with the paper that would be in comic books and they used it with purpose and they, they used, used it, it for to emphasis. emphasize certain things yeah um, they used it for motion blur they used it for uh, heightening the emotions they made a new language so the dot patterns like where did that come from? That was from comics, but was that like a stylistic choice or was it a choice out of necessity for something? Um, so there are two ways that there are those dot patterns. One of them is from the way comic books used to be printed, where the color was printed in like dots of CMYK. You know, it, like it, if you look closely at it, it's it's very like you can see the dots and everything. Um. So that's how it used to be for printing color in comics. And then there's also um, screen tones, where it's like a sticky thing. Uh, 
So it's a bunch of dots on a sticky surface that you put on your paper and it leaves the dots on the paper. And those are used for shading a lot in manga. Okay. Because whenever something in media is either adapted from a comic or is inspired by comics, you always see those dots. So, yeah, I was wondering where that came from. Something I thought was really cool was whenever they introduced new spider characters or like went to different parts in the story, they would show comic book artwork of these characters. I, I, that, that was just a really cool meta thing that they did there because they, they kind of established without saying anything that uh miles's spider-man comic is like at least through like visuals you know without saying anything i was under the impression that other comic books or stories about superheroes that are in the comic book form in that world are like a like a window into that world uh it's like they get a level of recognition that they get that stuff made about them so even miles uh all right i'm gonna try and talk about one thing at a time because there's a lot i want to talk about with the movie but when his body is changing uh when he's getting his powers for the first time which firstly i thought that was a really like telling the story of uh, Spider-Man as a younger kid, because in a lot of popular media, media before, he's older, he's in college already. But telling the story of Spider-Man from the perspective of a younger kid is really fun because, you know, kids' bodies are changing through puberty. And, and, and they a kid make that, that actually joke. feels like, like a similar age to when Peter Parker became Spider-Man, he was 15 years old. You know, My- Miles fits that bill. And yeah. the character design of Miles uh, really off his age i i would say it's it's hard to draw a bunch of young teenagers in a way that looks like young teenagers but they really pulled it off yeah absolutely so that's the first thing that i just think it's smart and fun to have him his body changing in such a dramatic way because that just helps sell the idea of him being a young kid his body's changing he doesn't understand what's happening the next part of that is that these changes are happening to him like his life is changing and the way that he contextualizes and understands that is through story because while he's going freaking out about this stuff he runs into a spider-man comic book and he's seeing spider-man is struggling and he's changing and he doesn't understand what's happening and so there's a he starts freaking out less and i thought that was a cool moment just because you know art imitates life life imitates art yeah and and that's what story is for story is there to make life more bearable it's it's seeing other people go through an an experience however negative or positive it may be they're going through an experience that you can empathize with and in a way they seeing how other people deal with their problems like some of the some of the writer is in there you know so it's in a way it's kind of like getting advice from another person about how to deal with whatever you're going through yeah it is because any good story you really should understand what this person feels and what they understand about life because that's what that's what makes stories interesting they're made by people so 
you just see what other people are feeling and what they want to say. Uh, something I, I kind of want to uh, just briefly go back to is um, my thinking that the the comic books of Spider-Man are Spider-Man from a different universe is because it's it's showing the the story of Spider-Man as we know him. Um, so Miles knows the same spot. We know Spider-Man from comics and Miles knows that same Spider-Man from comics. And also um, in DC comic, I don't know if Marvel does this, but in DC comics, the other universes that exist um, in that multiverse exist as comic books in other universes. I didn't know that. That's cool. The way I interpreted the comic books was that, you know, these superheroes, these characters are like our modern myths, basically. So, you know, it's that level of recognizability and fame that in their universes, people make this stuff as tributes to them. Mm -hmm. And that's also, again, uh, the story of Miles looping around to at the end when he has his own comic book, like he gets his Spider-Man outfit like that's. Uh, that was there was a lot of stuff going in on in that scene that I want to talk about later, but that was just one of the things that solidifies that he's ready and that he's stepping up to being Spider-Man. Uh, but yeah, earlier you were talking about empathizing with the writer and like getting that feel from what's going on in the story. Uh, the introduction of Spider-Man right at the start, like this universe is Spider-Man. Uh, that was tight. That was good because just the last thing I wanted to say about that was he's likable. He's really quickly likable. Uh, he talks about his accomplishments and how his powers. You're talking blonde Spider-Man, right? Blonde Spider-Man. Yeah. I want to call him Peter A. Parker just to separate him. But Well, he's Peter Parker. He's just Peter Parker. Is, is Peter B. Yeah. So he's talking about his accomplishments and stuff, but you like him just because you see him getting beat up you see him getting beat up by all these big bads but and he just keeps getting up and and he's so he's so comfortable being spider-man that's that's what you want to see he lives what he preaches and that's cool like he he's this is a spider-man who has fully embraced himself as spider-man as a superhero as a protector of people <laughs> he, like for me that's that's all i want to see in a well that's not all i want to see but that's that's something I want to see in hero characters, you know, like it, especially showing him like being so experienced, you, you know, like it's it's a version of Spider-Man that we all know is his destiny. Um, but in most media, we only see him as a as a teenager uh, coming up, learning how to use his powers. Yeah, in in most media, you see him at a younger age where he's still figuring everything out. By the way, you said earlier that we mostly see him in college, and that's not true. Yeah, I know I'm not as familiar with Spider-Man. In the media that I'm familiar R with Raimi, him, which is the movies. Raimi had him go to college. But if you go back to the other Spider-Man films, Andrew Garfield was a high school student. Was he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh my god, wait, the new the new Marvel Spider-Man, that kid, Tom Holland, he's also a high schooler. Tom Holland is a kid. <laughs> I 
I mean, like, he's 20, but he plays like a 16-year-old. He pulls it off. Yeah. He looks, he's looks. he got a baby face. He's got a good look for the character. The only reason I said college was because I thought Andrew Garfield was also a college Spider-Man. But you're right. He was a high school Spider-Man. Do you think Tom Holland is too uh, too cute to be Spider-Man? Nah. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> I haven't seen Far From Home. Oh, you haven't? Uh, he's good. It's good. Okay. Jake Gyllenhaal's in it, and that's he's a good actor, and he definitely has fun with the role that he has. The name for the third movie was leaked. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you want to know how it was leaked? How? Somebody on the crew for that movie put it in their resume. Ah, oh, gross. How unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And someone found it. That's so unprofessional, man. That's funny. <laughs> I, I don't want to know anything else about it. <laughs> uh, That's just a really funny way. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Endgame, the, the name for Endgame, got leaked in a similar fashion, too. <laughs> Some, something I want to say about the Spider-Verse film is there's very little noise. Like, everything feeds into the main thrust of the film and you know for a two-hour adventure in the theater that feels really good everything feeds into the main thrust and i'd like to say the same thing about the animation too like in terms of the animation like there's i mean you have a more critical eye for this than me but i felt like there was no like indulgence in the style i felt like it had great rhythm great momentum and that it never lingered on something like oh look at how impressive this is it just kept moving along with the action and with the story and it felt good i'm postulating oh no it appears i'm far off base <laughs> no i'm, I'm pontificating <laughs> kidding okay you you go ahead and pontificate while you pontificate, I, I want to give a second to just say that all the all the performances and the writing dialogue pro. Yeah, actually this this goes to what I was telling you before we started recording recording, where uh, I said it's man, it's hard to to talk about good stuff. <laughs> Cause th this for me, this is something that's it's just well done and I feel like it's better experienced than talked about. Yeah, but there's still a lot of stuff that we appreciate that we can point out to, like, one, for ourselves to take away from it and to share with other people, too. Like, like you talked about the CMYK, uh, the usage of CMYK in the film. Like, the use of freeze frames was really interesting to me because again like emphasis it wasn't just when i think of using freeze frames i usually think of what do you mean by freeze frame yeah what i what i usually think of with freeze frames is something like in the middle of a fight you do a freeze frame and it adds more impact but the freeze frames in in this were interesting maybe it, the right word isn't even freeze frame but the uses of cmyk because i noticed that it wasn't just for the sake of action that they use those there was a lot of different feelings that those uses of the freeze frame and cmyk added emphasis to the scenes by, by freeze frame are you talking about the when they would put panels on the screen i'm talking about like when all the color would pop and like 
a character would do something. One I remember specifically was when uh, the Prowler was walking into the apartment and his claw like gripped the sill. So there was like a freeze there and the yeah. color popped. Yo, I, I was I was listening to some uh, to this interview with one of the art directors on the film, and uh, he was talking about how they really wanted to use like those techniques for environments that are more alien to miles and i i think that holds true you know they didn't use it too much in the classroom setting in the classroom setting or in the school setting of miles's life they did a lot of uh more cinematic language than like this new language that <clears throat> than this new language that they've, they've been using that's that's so smart that's something i didn't even think about like this world of superheroes that he's not familiar with they use that visual language to separate it from his reality i yeah. didn't even think about that that's really smart yeah because what i mean they used it a little bit for emphasis uh like at the beginning of the film when he like knocked on the on the door frame you know you saw like a little white thing but other than those like tiny parts yeah like this this comic book stuff is used when it more goes into the comic book subject matter. And and think about in a moment where they really went all out with that was when Miles was in the machine. He was falling. Spider-Man stops fighting so he could save him. And then they have that moment where both of their spider senses go off. And you see like all these vivid, spectacular colors. And something that this guy who I was watching on the interview was talking about was he wanted to use colors and this technique to separate his his life from... Like, he called it natural colors and supernatural colors. So the supernatural colors are meant to emphasize. Do you remember what colors specifically? Because I don't know what you mean by the supernatural and natural supernatural like th that really vibrant green that dark oh. saturated purple the 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 pure cobalt blue the bright red okay so the natural colors are like the colors that we see in the world and the supernatural yeah. colors are the ones that pop out yeah okay that's a cool use of the visual language yeah and and then the use of those colors uh like they mix in and out you know like, when Miles is jumping off the building, they use a lot more of that colorful, vivid uh, visual language for, I think, for emphasis on him really coming into his own. Yeah, that scene at the end where he accepts his part as Spider-Man. There was a lot of good stuff going on there. So, I've seen this movie multiple times, but every time that that scene is coming on where he's coming into his own. Uh, I always get a little misty because really the thesis of the film is like right there in that scene. Cause he didn't become a superhero because he got superpowers. He became a superhero because he started believing in himself because his dad encouraged him uh, to realize his full potential. And that's when he became Spider-Man. So I thought it was really uh, that that thematic point was done really clean. 
The only scene in this movie that I think about every time is I just don't like that they replay all this dialogue during that scene. I would really like to just see that scene for the visuals, but I understand that it's to make it more obvious for some viewers. Like maybe they had a test audience where a bunch of kids like didn't really get the point. And so they replay the dialogue. Like I see this spark in you. You're the best of all of us and all this. Like, cause I thought that was a bit much, but still, I like, liked it. Just the, the way it came out. I really, really enjoy. I, I didn't mind it. It was, it was heartwarming. You no, know, like putting yourself in a in a situation like that, like when when you have these really big, impactful situations in your life where you take a step. Do the do the words of other people who've motivated you not ring in your head? Because they do for me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I I guess I can understand that in terms of putting you in his headspace. By the way, I like that Aunt May supports Miles. Like she's sitting down there ready, like like, oh yeah, I've got she's your so outfit. Cool. She's so cool. <laughs> I want to point out something that freaked me out during the movie, all right? Okay. Cause again, this is my fourth or fifth time watching it, and this is my first time catching this. When all the villains go to Aunt May's house because they followed Miles, uh Doc Ock walks in, and then Aunt May says, Oh, it's Liv. <laughs> and then I thought, wait, earlier she said her friends call her Liv. Like, what's what's going on here? Do they know each other? Like, outside of... I mean, she recognizes her despite the outfit and the tentacle. She's not shocked. She says, oh, it's Liv. <laughs> like, hmm. do, do Aunt May and Doc Ock have some kind of relationship in this universe? Like, what the heck? Do you remember that? Yeah. What if this? Huh. And she's not shocked that Doc Ock comes into her house. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter talked to Aunt May about some of the stuff. Like, oh yeah, you know that that lady I mean, she, on the TV. She, she knew everything. You know. She knew everything. Man, that Spider-Man had a freaking bat cave. Yeah. Sick. Oh man, Peter B. Parker, by the way. Or, okay, wait, before moving too far ahead, I want to talk about one other seam in the movie that was a little... Not seam, but... J- there was there was one joke that just was a little bit too much of a joke and didn't really make sense. When everyone is all pressuring Miles, like, can you get back up? Aunt May throws in there, can you help your aunt make a dating profile to leave the house? And it's funny, but, I mean, she's not Miles' aunt. She just met this kid. Like, why is she throwing it out there that... <laughs> He should Wait, make her a dating even, profile. I don't even remember that. It's so quick. It's in the middle of a bunch of dialogue. And again, this is like my fifth time watching the movie, so I remember that. Hold on one sec. Like that that's weird. She she knows Doc Ock. She calls her Liv. Her friends call her Liv. And she tells Miles that he should help her make a dating profile. Like, you know, what what do these things mean? <laughs> uh, but during that same little sequence. Uh, when everyone's yelling at Miles, I really like that Porky Pig just says, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Hold on. I really don't remember the dating profile bit. She makes a joke saying, can you help your aunt make a dating profile so she can get out of the dang house? I didn't even remember that. Yeah, I thought that was, I mean... I've seen this movie a bunch of times already, but I thought that was weird. Like, oh, you don't really know Miles. Like, why should he help you make a dating profile? 
And did Peter A. Parker neglect his aunt and not help her with her computer to make a dating profile? I didn't like the question that that raised in my head. A testament to the movie, by the way, that that's like the only piece of dialogue that came off as weird in my head. Because, you know, plenty of other movies, you'll just feel weird. What, what if she was talking to Peter B.? No, they were all directed at Miles at that moment. Like they were saying, can you can you fight off five guys at once? Like, can you swing with the grace of a dancer? Can you help your aunt make a dating profile? <laughs> like it was funny. Like so, its purpose as adding a little punchiness to that scene, it was good. I just didn't like the thoughts that it made me have afterwards. Why does it make you uncomfortable? It doesn't make me uncomfortable. I'm just pointing out that it's a little seam that my brain caught it. Like, why would she say that to Miles? Was Peter A. Parker not around the house helping her with her computer, even though obviously they were still very close? Like, what's what's going on here? I think Is she friends with Dr. Octopus? You're thinking way too much. <laughs> but, I mean, we've talked about this on our last couple of shows. Like, this was something that just made me think. It doesn't really blend in with the rest of it. Um, All right. It didn't bother you. That's fine. That's no, fine. <laughs> not in the slightest. It bothered me. The bit about Liv, though, uh, Peter Parker has been... I mean, Peter Parker's a, a genius. He's a smart boy. Uh, he gets those internships. You know? He probably knows her somehow. Maybe he killed Dr. Octopus in that world. Spider-Man doesn't kill. <laughs> Uh, I mean, this is like an older woman, so I don't think there is another, unless maybe it was her husband, but like they're, they don't make any reference to her being married or anything. They just refer to her as Doc Ock. But they did parody the, the Raimi movies. My mind doesn't like thinking about these things. <laughs> anyway, um, the story about a student and a mentor... Uh, both of which aren't ready to interact with each other in that way. That was really fun. If you boil this movie down, it's about a a student and a mentor who learn from each other. Peter B. Parker is really excellent in this movie because, you know, it's directed at kids, so kids identify with Miles, but then any adults I go to see it identify with Peter B. Parker. He's the yeah. adult stand-in. He's, like, Miles is Spongebob and Peter B. Parker is Squidward. Not quite, but I, I see it. Like, they play off of each other that same way, where someone that's older with more perspective will identify with this other guy, like, like oh, do I really have to go to work today? <laughs> and SpongeBob's all enthusiastic. Like, they play off of each other in a similar way to that. They've got that nice... Peter B. Parker is, is, has more dimensions than Squidward. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm just saying that in terms of their relationship to each other in the story, that it's kind of like that, where an older audience will identify with this character and the younger audience identifies with this protagonist. Would you say it's kind of like a like Obi-Wan and Han Solo mixed together? <laughs> Han Solo isn't really a mentor, though. I, but but like, uh, as a rogue attitude, attitude, older, older man. Yeah. And Peter B. Parker, like he is. By a, the way, his his dialogue is so good. Yeah. Going back to the scene where all the villains come into Aunt May's house. Uh, just the, the line 
Peter B had where he just looked at Miles and he's like, you got to get out of here, man. I, I noticed it because of how authentic it was for him. The writing is really authentic in this movie, especially Uncle Aaron. I really liked Uncle Aaron. Uncle Aaron. Oh, Uncle Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. He feels like an uncle I might have. Like, just seems like a good classic dude. And they're not really uh, excessive with, uh, like, him being too buddy-buddy kitty. Like, he's got his own life going on. Yeah, he he's a cool uncle, you know? Like He's a great contrast to Miles' dad because he encourages Miles' creativity. So he's not exactly the best influence because he helps him ditch from schoolwork, but he encourages his creativity. And at the end, when... You know, he sees Miles behind the mask and decides not to hurt him. Like you could see that he always loved Miles. That was that was heavy. Uh, his dad finding him and his uncle in the alley. Like he he like it's established already. He has some disagreements with his father, and later his dad coming up to his room at the school and having that heart to heart. The the family element of this film is is really strong especially his dad talking about in life people drift apart and i don't want that for for you my son and on a bigger scale all of those moments where there's like a big emotional change in miles or in the story i noticed that all of those were really really expertly placed throughout the story the thing that i noticed the most was the first big change in the story is obviously when Peter A. Parker dies and then Peter B. Parker is introduced. Like, it's great because the story naturally comes to that low point, but then you're shocked with new information at the alternate universe Peter B. Parker, which I want to emphasize again, I never saw any trailers, I never saw any posters, so that completely blew my mind to see another Spider-Man like walk behind miles uh but that shock coming right at that low point it brings the energy back up a little bit because your mind gets working like okay wait we were upset about this but now there's this new thing we have to figure out okay and it sets you up really well to get into that action sequence because it just builds off of that momentum that is established there the next turn in the story or the next like big emotional change uh i wrote it down hold on this is something relatable in life um this this perfect spider-man this perfect role model for miles uh tells him that he'll show him the ropes and then it doesn't plan out yet he still finds a way and I, i think that's a really good analogy for life where Sometimes you have these things that seem like it would be an amazing opportunity, whatever it is, whatever you're into. Like this seems like an amazing opportunity to grow and it doesn't end up panning out. Yet he still finds a way, you know, he still, he, he works around that obstacle, that, that terrible situation. I I was looking at my notes and I didn't pay attention to what you said right now, so I can't respond. (laughs) Um, Well, I can't repeat it. Everyone else heard it. (laughs) Uh, 
just started uh, bleeding on my finger. Uh, yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Weiss just spontaneously bleeds sometimes. So when we're talking on the podcast, I just see his eyes start leaking, his ears. It comes out his nose, the tips of his fingers. It's really gruesome stuff, but I put up with it. <laughs> Your oh, fingers started hurts. bleeding? Yeah, because I poked it with a piece of metal. Why did you do that? And accidents. You going to be okay? No. In the All podcast. Right. Goodbye, everyone. Then I'll move on. Uh, the second big emotional change in the film that I was looking for in my notes was the next low point that Miles experiences where he runs into all the new Spider-Men and they test him because they know what's required to be Spider-Man. They test him and he can't get back up. So he runs away and he goes to the only place where he feels safe, uh, which is uncle Aaron's apartment only to see that it's changed. It's not the same. His uncle's the prowler. So this is like moving towards the third act. This is really great for upping the drama because you know, he's in this new situation, this new world. He goes back to where he's comfortable to see it's changed. And again, it ups the drama. Like this is a low point. So it's more bad information, but at the same time, like I said earlier, it's a shock to your brain still, and it makes you work. So even though it's a downer, it's still, in terms of pacing, it still feels really good for building up momentum towards the next action set piece, which is the whole fight scene in Aunt May's house. So that was something I noticed uh, for, as for how well-placed each of these big changes are in the story. Yeah, the, uh, nothing stood out to me in terms of forwarding the plot, which is amazing. Speaking of stuff not standing out, I thought it was really interesting how Penny is an anime character, but she doesn't look out of place here. Because, I mean, I'm a fan of Kingdom Hearts, so I'm used to anime characters standing out in the middle of a bunch of Western animation. But Penny looked good. She looks good here. Like, is there anything that you can add to that? Because I was just surprised that, like, is it the way she's rendered? Is it that she's a 3D model? Like, what do you think of that? Again, it's it's hard for me to say anything about it besides they did it good. They did do a good <laughs> job. Like, I, I want to emphasize again, like, for the writing and for the visuals especially, like, on every level of this, you just know a bunch of pros were doing this. And and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Like how? <laughs> Ow. They just they just did it. Oh, uh, at the very end of the movie, when Miles and his dad are talking on the phone, uh, <laughs> I like that his dad said, "Dang it, C-Mobile." Because <laughs> if you aren't paying attention, it sounds kind of like T-Mobile. So, burn. <laughs> It's official. Spider-Man uses T-Mobile, and it sucks. <laughs> At least in New York. You know, um, thinking about this movie, a lot of the time, actually, it's it's hard to come up with things to say. This one really does live and breathe 
it's not it's not effortless. It's all really well constructed, but it's made in a way where you don't think about it. At the time, this was a Sony film that had the most animators working on a single Sony animated film. Uh, something else I liked is there's a couple characters that speak Spanish in the film, and that just was nice. I don't know. That made me feel happy. Just his mom speaking Spanish to him and not putting big, ugly subtitles on the screen either. Like they just let it happen. And Miles also casually lets out some Spanish. Uh, and what's that villain's name? The Scorpion? Yeah. Uh, they did one subtitle for him, but I thought it was like fine because they really wanted to emphasize what he was saying to up the stakes there. Like he says, like, oh, a bunch of little spiders. So that was cool. Miles' dad is a good character, too. I like that they don't antagonize him. They don't make him like a bad guy in Miles' way. They just have trouble communicating because that's realistic for a lot of families, I think. Yeah, you know that your family cares about you. You know your parents care about you. Um, it's easy to forget that a lot of the time. Yeah, because sometimes we just don't say the right things. <laughs> like, I'm thinking of that specific scene where he's in the cop car and says, say I love you back. <laughs> you got to say I love you back. <laughs> like that's... I, I don't think his dad, uh, his dad was told about the other Spider people, but I think he's only ever come into contact with Miles' Spider-Man. I don't think they ever came into contact with the other universe Spider-Man. Like, he just knew there was a new Spider-Man running around. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it, it is really hard to talk about this movie. For me. For me. I'm I'm struggling. Um, you know what? Going to, going to some technical stuff. What I find awesome... Well, anything technical to say has already been said many times. But, uh... The... Like breaking down the animation is really something special with this film because they they use a lot of techniques from 2D animation and like that are, just aren't seen in 3D animation for the most part. Um, with 3D animation, usually everything is made to be smooth movements, just like a camera would pick up, but. This film, along with um, other like th this film, actually shares something in common with Attack on Titan in terms of uh, animation style, which is the backgrounds move on ones, so the backgrounds move complete like just smooth, and then Miles uh, is animated on twos, or like some action scenes, the characters are animated on twos. So what you mean by that is. Like, when the background is smooth, Miles would be, like, every other frame instead? Like that? Yeah, the the background is animated every frame. And during action scenes, uh, a lot of the time, the characters are moving at every other frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something I kept thinking about was, like... Because, you know, I come from a background where I've done a lot of filmmaking and short films and stuff. So... Every time I'm looking at animation, that's always something that takes my brain a while to 
wrap my head around just the difference of frame rate in a bunch of stuff. Like something could be four frames a second or six frames or like 12 or anything like that always takes me time to wrap my head around. Yeah. Like, I mean, just going into frame, um, we, we've talked about Miyazaki films. Those films are really good at using like minimal frames. Um, sometimes they'll animate at six frames a second or, just hold on a still shot for a long time but the it's still authentic to the story and the the background like the background noises really help fill in that space um with this movie they they use it as a storytelling device because there are parts where miles is animated on twos and there are parts where he's animated on ones and when he's animated more fluid uh he knows what he's doing more. Hmm. Um, looking at the at the tree, uh, when they're running away from the Alchemax lab, they uh, like Miles is animated on twos, but some of his movements are on ones, and I, I think it's really important for that scene because I mean, uh, of course, what I'm saying has already been said. Um, through like other people talking about the film, but it like it, it shows that he's getting more confident because his movements are like visually less choppy. With with confidence comes more fluidity. That's something that I wouldn't have noticed. Like like I said, the the frames per second and stuff, to quote Mike Stakloska, you didn't notice it. But your brain did. Because, <laughs> yeah, when you say that to me, it makes sense. But because I just don't have that animation background, I just don't look for that sort of thing. Also, looking at the like the storyboards and the the character artwork of the characters in this film, this is very ingrained in, in a two-dimensional art style, even though it's a 3D film. Like looking at the initial sketches of when Peter B. Parker, Miles, really feel like the, the artwork is just so expressive. The lines are confident, uh, very clean artwork, very clean 2D artwork. And something they did very well with the with the software that they used was they basically made rules for the software. When you see the head from this angle, it's going to look like the drawing. As they went along, they would make more rules for the computer to follow for each character. Sounds complicated. Very. And also with a lot of the visual effects, um, putting like 2D, like flat images over those 3D objects in space. Really interesting stuff. The technical aspect of this film, I don't really know anything about the process of making a 3D animated film, but I know that the hardware that these guys are using are stressed big time. Like, I don't remember if I saw any specific articles about this film in particular, but like the process of rendering really complex shots taking many hours or even days, like, is that, is that hugely common? Yep. And that's a combination of a lot of factors, huh? Like not just, a lot of motion but like 
I mean, they got a whole film. Oh, God. Wait, you're right. They have to render all, like, two hours of the thing at some point. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, I don't know too much about the process of rendering everything, but I would assume they do it in batches. Yeah, but then they are actually, yeah, they probably do it in batches and then they're able to link it together into a final project, but it's yeah. not like rendering from scratch for the entire thing. Yeah, no, they, they render the animations. I'm pretty sure they render the animations and then edit it. Yeah. That's intense stuff. By the way, for the, for the, for the amount of intense work that 3D animation is... Um, have you ever seen Pixar's studio? There's some videos about a tour of Pixar's studio, and that's a wonderful place for the amount of hard work that they do. <laughs> Define a wonderful place. <laughs> like, good for an office, or... It's a fun environment. An actual nice place. Yeah, I'm going to hold some up to the camera right now. Man, that does look like a nice place. You're right. I'd love to work there. Uh, shall we move on to another subject? Uh, I'll make my last point about the character introductions. Okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll start. <laughs> but the I hope you keep that pause in, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> uh, so last week, after we talked about the Animatrix... I said that I really wanted to talk about how so many characters are introduced in this movie, but it doesn't feel messy. And after thinking about it for a little bit, I realized that it's because it's not exactly a whole scene that each character gets dedicated to them. And it isn't a scene that's repeated over and over again. It's done in the style of a montage so rather than repeating a narrative element, it's a repetition of a stylistic element. And that repetition every time, uh, like, first of all, you know, a montage, it's really fast paced. So it's just fun to look at. And as more characters are introduced, that repetition is also used for comedy, especially when it does three at the same time, because all of these like the motif of a montage is already rep repetition enough, but stacking repetition within repetition in that scene especially is really well done. So that that's what I realized about the character introductions. It's not repeating a narrative element. It's repeating a stylistic element. So that makes it good. And you know what? That's uh, the way they did that. It's one of the few ways where they actually pull off narrating at the end of the movie um a lot of movies have narration to close things off and it's just to me it feels like a cheap way to end the story because you're not showing anything the character is just telling you what happened that you didn't see um but in this movie miles gets his own book and he's talking about a story just like all the other accomplished spider people yeah it's really good by the way i, I love peter b parker uh, showing up at Mary Jane's door with flowers. Yeah, you know, that scene where he's talking to not his universe's Mary Jane, that scene, it's really funny. And at the same time, it's a little sad just because, and that makes it more funny because 
he's getting ready to sacrifice himself to stop the collider. So he's saying like a final goodbye and it's not even the real Mary Jane to him. So it's sad, but it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> like Peter, Peter B. Parker, like before we move on, Peter B. Parker is a really, really good character. He's like an old cynic. He's very self-centered. Like I said a little bit earlier, he's kind of a stand-in for the audience, like the older adults that have been around the block. And so him learning him learning a little bit more about himself and you know caring about someone else, caring about Miles, that's all nice stuff. I mean, I, I think more than being a stand-in for the audience, he's... He's somebody who's fallen from grace. Yeah. And he has his own redemption in this story. Even at the beginning of the film, he didn't care at all. You know, like when they were at the restaurant, he was like, you see these fries? This one is all soggy and weird. This is your universe. <laughs> Did he say that? I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was just in the trailer, but it could have been just in the trailer. Oh, and... The part where my brain was working more on Peter B. Parker's character was when they went into the spider cave because uh, Miles said, oh, do you have this in your universe? And he said, oh, yeah, just smaller. And like there's a futon and there isn't a Jeep and stuff because <laughs> that's like a perfect moment of him deflecting. Uh, like he feels bad about himself and he's deflecting with humor. That made me think about how uh, nuanced his character really is. Yeah, yeah, like especially being compared to like this this amazing, handsome, successful Peter Parker, you know? Seeing that he he actually had a successful relationship with Mary Jane. He was there at the at the speech she gave after he died. Like he he was there watching that from from distance. Yeah. So it's interesting cuz I think a lot of people feel like sometimes it's too late or like they're getting started too late or something. Uh, Cause he's literally looking at a younger version of himself who was more successful at everything. But you know, throughout the story, he learns that he could still change. He could still be a better person and try again. And it's, you know, it's a really good B story to the whole thing. It, it's a nice uh, uplifting, emotionally fulfilling. Yeah, all cause, that. Cause life, life hits people hard, you know? People, people shut themselves out from other people and just hide in their apartment eating pizza. You know that that's that's a realistic thing, and that I'm I'm pretty sure a lot of adults have gone through it in some way in their life. And he's deflecting the situation. He embellishes it like, "Oh, I was doing crunches. I was doing push-ups, getting strong." <laughs> it, like even even during his montage, he was saying, um, "Every time something pushes me down." As long as I keep getting back up. And then it shows him like crying in his bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he doesn't practice what he preaches anymore. Yeah. Like the older, more cynical Spider-Man. Uh, the younger one at the beginning, he practiced what he preaches, but then this one doesn't. And, you know, he learns that he could do better. Like through a new experience, through new relationship, new friends. And you know what? I, I think... I think this is common in stories with um, with a mentor who seems to have given up, but they find hope in the next generation. That's a good point, yeah. Well, that feels like a... Go watch it, people. Go watch it. And we you know what? If you've seen it. it already and you're just listening to spoilers, 
because you already know what happens, go watch it again. It's still on Netflix. Go ahead. Yeah, and and we're both recommending Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I want to... I think I've said this a little bit in all the last shows, but I want to recommend watching stuff without any spoilers because this, this was a great shock to the system when I didn't know there was going to be more than one Spider-Man. Uh, I didn't know what like the new miles outfit looked like or anything. And it was all just so shocking and new and it made it that much more fun. So try to watch stuff without spoilers. Try to avoid trailers. I I think as a general rule of thumb, um, if you've seen one trailer and you're interested, just keep it at that. Even watching a trailer can be too much sometimes. I mean a teaser trailer though. Maybe not a teaser trailer, no, but a full trailer, like it's supposed I did, to get I didn't you. Watch the, I didn't watch the trailers for Spider Verse either. I I just saw the teaser trailer and I was into it. Because, but having all that comic book knowledge, you know, watching full trailers, it, when you see that little piece of marketing, it gets your brain asking a bunch of questions, and so you, you speculate a movie that isn't gonna be what you thought it was. Yeah, it's like you're filling in all the pages of the script before you even go to see it. Like, that's what I was trying to get at. So, watch stuff without spoilers. For your own sake. Save the world. (laughs) Just like the way uh, we talked about how I saw Princess Mononoke, I I didn't know nothing about it. My friend from high school just lent me her her Studio Ghibli DVD uh, collection. And I was like, Princess Mononoke? I've never even heard of that. That's cool. Some some good stuff. Some good stuff comes when you don't know what to expect. Man, that sounds like such a fun way to watch a new movie. Just someone gives you the DVD, like, hey, check this out. And that doesn't really happen anymore. Like, oh, like, hey, I've got this DVD. You want to check it out? (laughs) Just make sure you don't break it like Yosuke did. My trial of the dragon. <laughs> hey, at least he bought her a new one. Did he? I forgot if he did. He did. Yeah. He yeah. Did. Man. I mean, he, my, he's got all that Juness money, you know? You got to use it on something. My channel, I was just thinking about this. I'm, it's basically a Persona 3 fan page plus podcast right now. I've got five episodes of the podcast up and four Persona 3 related videos. <laughs> You're just doing what you like. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Whatever. You know? All the Persona games. Real good. Yeah. Uh, I actually dig those those playlists. Um, mm-hmm. Even the new one that, that, I, that, that my art is not a part of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, un- but, but unfortunately. Okay. I got busy. Uh, Mr. Bunch of Client Work didn't want to yeah, step on your toes. I got busy with good things. Uh, I'm excited for you. You know, guys, if you're doing something, post online. Like, literally, I went months without posting anything on, on my Instagram. And I just posted some artwork that I worked on in that downtime uh, away from the public eye. And, like, after that, I got hit up for some projects. You know, like... If you do something that you believe in, it'll speak for itself. But you know what? It was actually really nice for a little while not to focus on likes and followers and stuff like that. Because now, like, 
I mean, I still don't have six, my, my goal for 2019 was to have 600 followers and it didn't pan out. Uh, but I, I don't care, you know, like I, I'm I'm making my way with or without those extra people following me. If you post regularly, then that'll probably you'll probably get some more momentum. Yeah, but thinking thinking too much about it, like I, I'd rather just not have that kind of pressure associated with my art because before yeah. even with sketches i was doing it in a way where it's like oh my god this this has to be good enough so that other people will like it mm-hmm. but recently i've been doing some some artwork for myself um and i forgot how good it feels to just draw ahead what does that mean i just drew ahead i just drew someone's head Oh, ahead. I thought you meant ahead as in getting ahead. <laughs> no, I just, you know, it, if, it, it's really refreshing to just, I actually just ordered some new sketchbooks on Amazon because I, I really miss just having a sketchbook and drawing whatever in there. I haven't done that yeah. for a long time. Weiss was sending me pictures of these sketchbooks asking me which ones look the least pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to get the leather bound one because... I mean, okay, not, not judging anyone if they have it, but if you have that sketchbook, you got a pretentious sketchbook. Uh, that doesn't like, mean you're a pretentious person. No, it's just the item. <laughs> it's it's like when you own a gold watch. Like, you know, it's the item. <laughs> or like those, those studded belts. I'd get a studded belt. Just to not wear it. <laughs> I had a studded belt in middle school. I thought it was the coolest thing. But that's that's the thing. I got it because it was cool. Not because I liked it necessarily. Not because it brought some immense value to me. And that's what I think that leather sketchbook is. That's That's why I don't wear the gold watch I ordered. Well, actually, the reason I don't wear it is because I broke it like two days after I got it. It wasn't real gold or anything because I can't afford that. It just it was like 30 bucks. And I thought, ah, you know what? I just moved to a new place. Let me treat myself to something new that I wouldn't normally get. And then I broke it. <laughs> you know what's not broken, though? Those sunglasses you bought. Those are still trucking. Yeah, the that's the that's the cry once mentality, you know. If if you buy something kind of expensive, uh, you're gonna take care of it. It'll last you a long time because it's quality, and you spent money on it, so you don't want to, you know, you, you care more for it because uh, it costs you more of your life to acquire that thing. But maybe sometimes you don't need to cry because I went to the beach with those sunglasses. I was hanging out with my aunt and her boyfriend. And he had these really nice blue sunglasses. And I said, man, those look cool. And he said, oh, yeah, they were like six bucks. And I thought, oh, man, I wish I spent six bucks on a cool pair of sunglasses. Because <laughs> he was rocking those. Those were cool. I think there's something to be said about the price of quality products, though. You know, yeah. like, if yeah. you got them for six bucks, how long are they going to last before, they, before the arm breaks or something? Yeah, these sunglasses, I've definitely, I don't know if it's just because I have bad luck or if it's because I'm not mindful of these things, but I break stuff sometimes. So these sunglasses I've had for a long time. Like in my, in my last relationship, my girlfriend bought me a very nice necklace 
and it had a keyblade from Kingdom Hearts on it, the Kingdom Key. And I really liked that thing, and I tried hard to take care of it. But what? I didn't. <laughs> I don't Speaking know how, but the, the key the key just fell off. Speaking of necklaces, I still have my my necklace with lapis it, yeah, lapis lazuli from Afghanistan on it. That's cool. I just ordered a new necklace for myself and I really really want this one to last a long time. Uh it's all right. Actually, I I, I want you to guess what this necklace is cuz it's from something that you and I both like very very much. Uh, and there, it is prominent in the story. Did you get a Gurren Lagann necklace? I got a drill necklace. I used to have one of those. What happened to it? Lost it. Dang. Yeah, I hope I this necklace anime, stays. I got it at my first anime expo. It was magical. That sucks. That it's gone. <laughs> I can get another one, though. Yeah. But now I can't because I'd be copying you. Yeah, we can't both be the little bro, man. You know what? I'll I'll be the big bro. You got to get some big sunglasses then. <laughs> or you've got to walk around everywhere shirtless with a cape. Either one. But yeah, I'm going to be very happy when I have that drill necklace. I got it with all the new PC parts because I'm building a PC for the first time soon. I really miss having that drill necklace. I still think about it sometimes. You know, I mean, not to go back too much about Spider-Man, but it's always funny when they animate his eyes, like as if they are things that can move when it's the mask. Yeah, like they do that in the comics too. Like that that's that's something going back to how animation is the best medium for adapting comic book. Um you you can't have Batman's white eyes emoting through the mask in live action with, without having it be some oh this is the the technology in his mask that mimics the expression on his face you know like they did it with Deadpool as like a fun thing and they even implemented it in uh, in the Marvel uh, MCU Spider-Man um, his mask emotes because the lenses shift that's crazy that that kind of animation or that kind of expression in comic books, I didn't even think about how in live action, that's like a whole element of personality that's missing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, Batman from Batman, from any animated work, um, from Batman, the animated series from the justice league unlimited cartoon. Um, he's, he's a lot more expressive than he is in live action. Because you just get a mouth and eyes. So you have to play it straight because that's like all you could do. Yeah. I can't imagine Christian Bale or Ben Affleck cracking a joke. I mean, I guess I didn't even see that Justice League movie where they tried to make him funny. But thinking about Batman v Superman, uh, my favorite DC Universe movie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thinking about Batman v Superman, uh, my favorite part of that movie was when Batman had a big trench coat like Raphael from the original live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. He had his big trench coat, and 
he like broke five police officers necks and got a submachine gun and fired into a crowd of giant insects that was hilarious i was so loud when i was watching that movie think about the the whites in the eyes of the characters too can't really can't really do that in live action because the the eyes are crucial for for getting emotion but since an animation you can like in the comics there, did you know there's actually a reason batman has whites in his eyes and the flash doesn't no uh batman does it because it conceals his emotions like if if his if his adversaries can't look directly in his eyes they can't see emotion it's it's more scary it's more intimidating but the flash he's more of a He's like a, he's a soft protector, you know, like he's, he's, he's a paragon. Community. Yeah. And he wants people, he wants people to look in his eyes and know that that's a person that that's somebody who cares about you. Batman's all about fear. Yeah. Masked vigilante. Babe, you know how I feel about Spider-Man. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, man. Do you think you his know, dad knew that Spider-Man, uh, saved him that night or do you think he at least had a feeling spider-man saved him that night what are you talking Spider-Man about saved miles no because th- then he probably wouldn't have said something mean about spider-man but man when spider-man was dead that scene is so powerful because you you watch the whole city react and that's really sad seeing that everyone is affected that was good i like i like when when miles is like they need me to be spider-man and then the guy is like i don't think she was talking to you particular <laughs> yeah that's that's one part of the movie that i kept trying to wrap my head around because there's a lot of superhero movies specifically where i feel like a lot of the humor cheapens it where it'll undercut serious moments or undercut a lot of character moments, but in this movie, I feel like they balanced it really well. I don't know how they did it. They're just good at their job, but they just balance it. I think it's another part of knowing the audience too. Cause I remember when they're crawling in the vents, they're listening to the conversation downstairs with the bad guys. And Peter B. Parker says like, Oh yeah, they're going to say a bunch of dramatic sounding stuff. Uh, but I'll just come in and save it last second anyway. So whatever. <laughs> and, and then they jump down from the vents and he says, Oh, actually that stuff sounded bad. So yeah, we should save everyone. Like it's it's I think it's part of an awareness of the audience too. Like they've seen enough superhero movies, we've seen enough, so Yeah, he's he's like, Yeah, that's that's standard Spider Man fair. Yeah, so you can have fun with it. I I guess that's part of the reason that balancing the more serious stuff and the funny stuff works. Watching this movie again, I, I noticed things how how when he first met Gwen Stacy, he had his hand stick to her hair. She was literally like she was trying to tell him what to do, how to to control it like she's uh, he was saying okay i'm just gonna pull really hard and she's like i don't think that's that's not gonna (laughs) she yeah oh man i just realized this she says the same thing that peter b parker says when peter b parker says yeah just relax just relax that's smart now's a good time to like start winding down like for recommendations and stuff i feel like we kind of have said what we can for now about this yeah i agree and i'm giving this one a 7 out of 10. 
I mean, in my heart, it's my heart screams out that this is a ten out of ten for me. Uh, I think nothing's a ten out of ten. My heart screams out ten out of ten. Just visually fun. I've had a lot of fun rewatching it. The first time watching it was great, and now watching it with a more critical eye just for the show, I still really appreciate it. And there's stuff that I take away from it. And you know that's the whole point of this show, like the stuff that we take away from these things we enjoy. Yeah, uh, I guess the last thing I want to say is that Miles didn't become a hero because he got superpowers. He became a hero because he believed in himself. And same goes to anyone out there listening. You could do great things as long as you believe in yourself. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that... Success is guaranteed. Yeah. And Weiss and I want to see more good stuff out in the world, so we we support you too. You could do it. Do something you care about. Spider-Verse 2, come in... Uh, 2021. Sometime in the future. Probably going to get delayed. Probably going to get delayed. Good point. Uh, any recommendations this week, Weiss? Why, yes. Thank you for asking. Uh, this is Weiss from the future speaking. Uh, this is Angel editing the podcast. And there's a problem with Weiss's audio during the ending here. So I'll let you know his recommendation for him. This week, Weiss recommends Nomad the Rapper. Nomad the Rapper is a friend of the show. Weiss has been producing art for him for a while. Very good art, I would like to add. And Weiss confidently recommends Nomad's new single, So Cold. He added that Nomad has been improving greatly over time and to look forward to an EP coming out later this year. Also, he added Angel's really handsome and cool. I don't know. Beautiful. So, well, man, I don't want to recommend music too and compete with your recommendation. <laughs> eh, both recommendations could coexist, says Weiss. My recommendation this week is another musician that I've been a fan of for a while, but they've been at the forefront of my mind for the last couple of days. Uh, guess what? It's another Japanese one. I just noticed the last bunch of weeks, every recommendation of mine is something Japanese. Uh, just something I noticed right now, but the work of Hideaki Naganuma. Hideaki Naganuma is a composer he's most well known for the jet set radio and jet set future soundtracks uh, which are excellent albums i'll recommend anything by him but recently specifically i've really liked his track for lethal league which is uh ain't nothing like a funky beat that's a funky beat and i just found out like yesterday night that he also did a remix for persona 3 for the track When the Moon's Reaching Out. He has a Hideaki Naganuma remix for that. And I've listened to that track a bunch of times, but I just didn't connect Naganuma in the remix to the artist I like. But those two tracks specifically, I highly recommend. Ain't Nothing Like a Funky Beat from Lethal League and When the Moon's Reaching Out from Persona 3 Dancing. And with that said, thank you for listening this week. Yeah, I'll have links to all of Weiss's pages and my pages below, as well as links to Swoon. He provided the music for the intro and outro of the podcast. I'm a huge fan. He's a good friend of mine. And yeah, he's been in every podcast. I've had the link down there, but I'm just realizing I've never said to go follow. So go follow Swoon. And that's been the Intermediate Podcast for this week. And until next week, have a good one.